freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. The only way they can inherit the freedom we have known is if we fight for it, protect it, defend it, and then hand it to them with the well-taught lessons of how they in their lifetime must do the same. And if you and I don't do this, then you and I may well spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it once was like in America when men were free. Everybody, welcome to episode number 392 of Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. We are brought to you by azfirearmsauctions.com, where you set the price on guns, ammo, and accessories. I am one of your hosts, Cheryl Todd. And I'm the other guy, Dan Todd. The theme today is the future of the 2A. Our guest today is Adam Kraut. Adam is an executive director of the Second Amendment Foundation. He is an attorney who has been practicing law and firearms-related matters since the fall of 2014 and has represented individuals, industry members, and pro-rights organizations in state and federal courts, as well as administrative matters. Welcome to the show, Adam. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm excited, and I just want to start the show by saying congratulations on being named the executive director of the Second Amendment Foundation. Thank you. That yeah. is, go ahead. Oh, I, I mean, yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> it, it's exciting. It really is. And as members of the Second Amendment Foundation and, and people who rely on the work that the Second Amendment Foundation does as far as, you know, going out there and, and, bringing lawsuits against these bad bills all across the nation. I am just ecstatic and excited um, that, that you have stepped up into that position. And I like the mug. That's a good uh, mug. Yeah. I got it at GRPC and it's uh, obviously a second amendment foundation mug. <laughs> mm -hmm. I have one too. I just haven't brought it to work yet. Well, I want to talk about this um, new position that you hold. How did this come about? Well, that's a uh, that's a, a fair question and a, and a, <laughs> a good one. Um, I guess it started out with, you know, there's some conversations between myself and Alan. Uh, I had left my job in the middle of August. Um, didn't I don't think a lot of people know I left my uh, former job. I didn't go out there and announce it to the world. Um, just decided that, you know, for me uh, personally, it was time to move on with life and see what the, the next thing out there would be. So in doing so, I had uh, contacted a few um, people that I've worked with throughout the years in various capacities or that I had relationships with just to let them know uh, that I had, you know, moved on and that I was going back into private practice for a little bit while I tried to figure out what the next thing for me was. Uh, and through that, Alan and I had a number of different conversations over a couple of weeks, which ultimately culminated into what, what you see here, actually. Um, with an offer for a position to come on board as the executive director, uh, to be a, a part of the the key leadership in the Second Amendment Foundation, um, and in considering everything, uh, you know, it just seemed like an awesome opportunity and something that uh, offered a lot of things that I wanted to take on as challenges, you know, for the next step and what my I guess professional career would be. Well, I I think you're just a an excellent choice for that. Um, 
for your experience, for your dedication to um, the Second Amendment and all the issues involved in that, and also because you are of a younger demographic. I can say that because I, I'm older than you, right? <laughs> and I can say it because I'm older than you. There you go. But, <laughs> you know, to be able to see, um, you know, someone taking a leadership position at that level from a younger demographic, that is so encouraging to those of us that know, you know, we all have an expiration date at some point. Uh, and, you know, a lot of the people that, that are very actively involved in the second amendment uh, at the state level, the national level, it's almost like we hit this magic age and then our brain clicks in and goes, oh, maybe we better start preserving our rights before, you know, our children are our age and, and they don't have any rights left. So for you to be um, that as actively involved at the age that you are is very encouraging to us. And how did that how did that come about that, that this is sort of the sweet spot for you? Because being an attorney, you could do a ton of different things. Yeah, there's a there's a long story there that uh, I'm happy to happy to share. I mean, I, there there is one thing I would just like to quickly note um, overall, you know, Alan and, and uh, Julianne, they've given, you know, pretty much, I, I, if not, certainly not their entire life, but the better part of their livelihoods in this area. Um, you know, the Second Amendment Foundation itself was founded in 1974. Uh, the Citizens Committee for the Right to Keep and Bear Arms was, I believe, in 73. It predates NRA's ILA uh, by a, a short period of time, but it does predate it. Um, and so you you look at that, that's a, a long period of time to be invested in this space and and only doing that. And so there's a couple things there, right? First, um, you know, nobody's getting any younger, uh, myself included. And there's, you need to look at what the future is uh, with the realization that A, you might not be around for it, but also B, you've given the greater part of your life to it. Maybe it's time to uh, take some time for yourself and enjoy some things. Not to say that that hasn't happened, but, um, you know, uh, relax a little bit uh, and be around to advise those that are going to fulfill those roles in the future. Um, so, you know, they've they've done a fantastic job with the organization, the direction it's taken through, you know, its entire course. Um, I very much look forward to gaining a lot of the institutional knowledge that lives within their heads that uh, I currently don't know and any advice and wisdom they have. Uh, I'll be the first person to tell you I don't know everything uh, and I can I can readily admit that and I'm certainly glad that there are people who know a lot more uh, than I uh, that are around for me to pick their brains and and you know try to figure out how things work or run ideas past them and see like, well, have you tried that? And if it didn't work, why? Or uh, why haven't you tried this thing? So there's a lot of just great resource for me there um, in that. So back to me, since you wanted to ask about how I ended up there, um, I I was at a point in my life when I had graduated college, uh, I took a year off from uh, school after I was I graduated college. I was working in a restaurant at the time. I knew that wasn't the, the final destination for me. Uh, my degree had been in political science with a concentration in law and politics. Um, I, during college, I had taken a number of constitutional law classes, mainly uh, two reasons. One, the subject matter kind of interested me. And the second reason being the professor was one that actually challenged students. Uh, she was a tough professor. And I found throughout my schooling that if I wasn't challenged, I would kind of just uh, tune out. 
and uh, do the bare minimum, but she she made me work for it, uh, and I, I'm forever grateful of, of that. So that sparked a little bit of an interest. And then my uh, father and my uncle had a, a small practice in town here where they were general practitioners, and my dad kind of pushed me towards law school. So I applied, I got accepted, and I said, all right, I can put off life for a couple of years while I uh, figure out what I want to be when I grow up. So go through law school. I'm a night student. I'm working during the day. Uh, moved over to a landscape company. That was my former scoutmaster. And then at the tail end of law school, I started working in a gun shop. Um, and during that last year, I went, oh, <laughs> I'm going to graduate soon. I probably need something to make myself marketable other than working in a gun shop. So at the time, I had been pretty active on a Pennsylvania gun forum. I kept seeing a lawyer's name pop up, Joshua Prince, Joshua Prince, Joshua Prince. And uh, I looked him up, so he was about an hour away. So I sent an email uh, saying, hey, I'm in law school. I'm going to be graduating in a year. I'm looking for an internship so I can learn how things actually work, not just the theoretical. Uh, you do firearm stuff. I have an interest in firearms. They're a personal interest of mine. Um, you know, is there something we could work out? And oh, by the way, I don't actually want to practice law. <laughs> um, so I received an email back from his father, whose firm it was saying, you know, at this time, uh, we're not offering internships. And uh, you probably should never mention that last part to anybody ever again. Uh, <laughs> so we went back and forth in a couple of emails and ultimately it culminated with an internship. Uh, so I had an internship, uh, you know, learned from Josh during my time there. And as that was kind of winding up and I was getting ready to graduate, he and I sat down and had a conversation about, you know, the bar exam. And if I passed the bar exam, is there a place at the firm for me, which there ended up being. And that's where I spent five years of my life uh, working with Josh. I did some uh, game law related issues here in the state, uh, but I worked very closely with him on matters related to individual representation, industry representation. And uh, at the time, Prior to ATF 41F, uh, you know, gun trusts were a big thing. So I did a bunch of those as well. Um, and that's, Josh, uh, there, there are many people in my life that opened doors for me and allowed me to get to where I was. I Ultimately, I was the one who had to walk through the door and I guess show I was worth it. But there were plenty of people that uh, gave me, you know, the, the opportunity to move forward. And Josh was absolutely one of those people. He's still a very good friend and still a very close mentor of mine. Uh, so I worked there for five years. Then I transitioned over to my last job where I worked in the nonprofit space for the past three years, started out as the director of legal strategy, uh, left as the vice president of programs. So I oversaw the programmatic functions, participated in leadership, uh, participated in the legal program. Um, and, you know, the one thing that was very clear to me is I don't want to actually practice law. I understand it. Um, I can make, you know, make my way around it. There's a lot of really talented lawyers that I've been fortunate to work with that just, they're fantastic writers. They're fantastic at oral argument. They, they're, the way their minds work uh, is very intriguing to me because they think of very clever things that candidly I don't. Um, so that's how, you know, kind of the progression of how that came to be. And that's uh, how I got to where I am sitting today. And, you know, Alan was just yet another person in a long line of people that opened a door and said, here's an opportunity if you want to take it. So uh, I took that opportunity and I'm very excited to, to see where that goes. Absolutely. Well, I hear all that and I'd hire you, Adam, I know, you know, seriously. you know, and the other thing I want to say is, do you think you're going to be able to keep up with Alan? Mm. I hope <laughs> He's so. He's like the energizer. You know, he funny, has, right? They have, yes. He and could Julianne you, both. Could you imagine? Right. Could you imagine what our, well, I say, Alan, you definitely connect Julian too, because 
it's just like us. Mm -hmm. We can't do nothing without each other. Mm -hmm. Nothing. But um, I just, you know, he has, if it wasn't for that organization, we would not have guns right now. Mm -hmm. He has done so much to to fix some of the problems. Alan was absolutely a visionary. And so the the one thing I, I joined the second amendment foundation as a life member in 2013. Um, and at the time, generally speaking, uh, from my perception of where I was in life and what I knew about the, the world, uh, you had the NRA, which I always associated with the politics and lobbying and that they were the Kings of that. And then you had the second amendment foundation and that was the legal Eagle in the room. And, and they owned that space. And in, in my mind in 2013, that was it. Um, and you got to remember in when Heller was decided in 2008, I would have been a junior in college, right? So people my age, and I think people younger than me, and, and probably people a little bit older for that matter, when they look at the Second Amendment space, they go, oh, Heller, that's where it starts. The reality is it starts much earlier than that. And that's uh, some of the history I've been learning in my conversations with Alan and Julianne, and, uh, some of the scholars that were in the, in the space still are in the space that are, you know, unfortunately, they are getting a little older, uh, some of the attorneys, but in 1974, Alan had a vision and the vision was how do I elevate a case to the Supreme Court to be decided and he looked and said, well, we need a foundation to do that. And that didn't exist at the time. So if you look at the history of it, you go back to the 70s and this idea of building the foundation. And that foundation took, you know, almost 40 years to build before a case Heller ultimately um, was up at the Supreme Court and decided on the, the Second Amendment in a manner that recognized that it is, in fact, an individual right unconnected to militia service. And that's not to detract from uh, Alan Gurr's hard work on Heller by any stretch of the imagination, but that stands atop all of the other stuff that was done prior to that point. Um, You have scholars from all over the country doing original research. You have this idea of we need to publish things in uh, law reviews and uh, newspapers, and we need to inform the public to to build everything. Uh, And SAF had a key role in a lot of that. And so I, I think that story is very important to tell because it's not in in my mind, and at least in my demographic, it's not well known. And I think with that being told and people understanding that, okay, history didn't life didn't just begin in 2008 with Heller. It actually predated by quite a bit. And there was all of these things happening that led up to Heller. Mm-hmm. And then you have McDonald, which incorporates the Second Amendment against the states. And now most recently you have Bruin, which uh, you know, comes back and says, okay, well, we we told you, you know, told you that it's an individual right, that it it's absolutely applies in the home. And Heller even says in its language in the opinion that the right to bear arms, you know, uh, exists outside the home. But now you have a case dedicated to carry that says this is in fact what we told you in 2008. Um, all of that can point back at history and in a large part, I think, you know, towards Alan's vision of how do we get from A to B. So the, the point of all that being is that not only is the Second Amendment Foundation today and, and yesterday looking at, okay, how do we win the things that are happening right now, but looking towards the future and how do we build the foundation to do the next thing? And that's a huge part of it, being, uh, being able to visualize that and being able to innovate in a manner that allows it to happen later. Mm-hmm. Boy, 
you've said so much there. And um, the one piece I want to start with is, you know, that whole mentoring mindset that I believe that Alan and Julianne of the Second Amendment Foundation and the citizens, uh, I always mess that one up. Right? The Citizens Committee for the Right to Keep and Bear Arms. <laughs> That's the one, right? The CCRKBA, I believe it is. Kripka. Kripka. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that they have such a mentoring mindset that they've interwoven into the culture of these organizations. And the proof of that is this event that they put on every year, this gun rights policy conference, and they move it to different cities, different states. And they're so open and willing to uh, create this entire event and then give the stage over to people who are out there doing the work to help encourage and inform the rest of us who are out there doing the work. And um, it, it's just an incredible open-handed mindset and heart set that isn't found in, in every industry. And, um, I always thank my lucky stars when we first started doing this podcast, which just kind of came out of a need. We were gun store owners. We have an auction house. Yeah, we, we weren't professional radio people. So it seems that we might look like that way. <laughs> I know. We're so super professional, <laughs> yeah. uh, but no, we don't have any degrees in journalism or, you know, broadcast, any of that kind of stuff. We just felt like we wanted to tell our own story and the stories of those of us that do this kind of work because at the time. Uh, it was President Obama's first term, and it was like nightly on the news. Him and all the talking heads were just basically telling the world that we were the purveyors of death, you know, as gun owners and gun store owners for the love of Pete. And so when I encountered uh, that Alan and, and Julianne were doing the Gun Rights Policy Conference here in Arizona, and I said, you know, I'd, I'd like to be able to just kind of speak on behalf of, you know, small gun store owners, and I have this this new podcast is starting up and they said yes so fast it kind of like took me back like oh wow oh my goodness now what do i do i know i better <laughs> bring it at that stage you know <laughs> and then the people that i would reach out to to ask if they would come on and be my subject matter experts and talk to my audience it was just yes after yes after yes and i thought what other industry would I be able to reach, you know, people at, at this level that are doing this much work out there that wouldn't look down their nose at some newbie and say, mm, yeah, you know, you got to get some, you know, skin your knees a few times before you can come around here, kid. And, um, and I do think that that exemplifies a lot of people in this space because we're so, we're so mission driven, right? We just, anybody that's part of that mindset, we want to lift up and encourage. So so I wanted to touch on that mentorship piece and applaud them. And then the other side of having a good mentor is being a good mentee, right? Like if you don't walk through those doors, Adam, then you haven't helped, you know, from your side and yet you have. Yeah. Um, certainly, you know, uh, with, with the mentorship stuff, it, 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 like anything, it takes two, right. You know, if, if somebody has the skills and is a proven mentor, but the person they're trying to lend that, uh, experience and wisdom to is unreceptive to it. It, you know, it, it's not the mentor's fault, uh, but that's just not going to go anywhere. 
Um, you know, one of the things you had touched on, the, the Second Amendment Foundation is absolutely about coalition building. If you look at a lot of the lawsuits that uh, the Second Amendment Foundation does file, you'll notice that there is other either national organizations or state uh, groups that are on those. And the it's always been um, Allen and, and Julianne's, um, I don't want to say policy, policy is not right, the right word, but I better ones not coming to me right this second, but it's been their, uh, you know, desire to work with as many people as they can in order to, to accomplish what that goal is. And, you know, they're all about sharing credit too. It's, you know, the PR goes out, Second Amendment Foundation and this group or these people or, you know, whatever. Um, and so I think that's really important because unfortunately there are some times in this space where people don't want to do that. Um, and, you know, it, it, not that it's necessarily problematic, but it, if we all just kind of work together and, and put our resources headed in the same direction, um, I think we could get a lot done. So, you know, it's been my personal mission in, in doing a lot of these things to build uh, prior to coming to SAF to build relationships with others wherever possible. Um, I plan to continue doing exactly that. And, you know, anybody who wants to work with us, we're happy to, to talk about it and see what that looks like. And if it works for everybody, um, you know, that would be the, the plan. So um, that's all good stuff. Absolutely. When you talked about, you know, 40 years falling between, you know, sort of the, the idea that we need to get a, a case to the Supreme Court and actually getting a case to the Supreme Court. And then I, I look at how many times I've gone around the sun. <clears throat> 40 years from now is not going to look too good for me. So we do <laughs> need to reach into the next generation and make sure that that, that football, right? Or, or the, the pole, pole, you know, in the relay race is passed because there is so much in this Bruin case, this Bruin versus New York State Rifle and Pistol Association that is, I mean, a treasure trove of individual liberties that if we don't have people carrying that football or taking that baton and moving that down the field, I mean, that's on us. I mean, there's so much that's on us anyway, things that happened on our watch that shouldn't have. And now we have this incredible um, gift of liberty that's available to us again. I mean, it should have always been, but we, through laziness and um, being distracted or whatever, we've let too many of our liberties um, get trampled on. Um, to have people in that younger generation understand that and have a game plan and understand where we've been to move that forward is truly everything. I don't think I'm overstating that when I say it is everything to have those elements in play. So moving forward, like, what do you think about this whole Bruin? Um, I call it a treasure trove. Uh, what do you think about it? So I think there's two things to unpack there. The the first being um, the educational component, um, and that that goes directly to one of SAF's core missions as well is is education, and they've done that for years. But um, you're not when you talk about this. Uh, we should have always had these liberties, and, and people have it. It's it's due to education, and if you look just generally speaking, when we're talking about constitutional rights, uh, the further we are removed from the time that these were adopted, the less 
important they appear to be to people. You know, you see right now with speech, for instance, um, this idea of if we don't like what you're saying, we should be able to shut it down. Well, no, that's not how the First Amendment works. In fact, it, it exists for a reason so that you can say something unpopular, no matter how vulgar or awful it may be. Um, to bring that back to this conversation, though, so, you know, obviously education about uh, firearms and firearms rights and why they're important and how they uh, are a, a natural right, you know, the natural right to self-defense. And you look at the history of the right to bear arms going all the way back to, you know, England, and you have um, Joyce Lee Malcolm's book on that. Uh, that was a, a big part in Heller. Uh, if you can get a copy of that, I highly recommend you do. It's it's not cheap, uh, but it is, it is a good read and it catalogs that. So, now we get to Bruin, and Bruin, I think one of the biggest things that everybody was hoping the Supreme Court would do was um, not only just address the issue on the merits, but really talk about the test that courts need to apply when it comes to Second Amendment challenges. And of course, the what had been being advocated by any number of different groups was the, the test as, as articulated in Heller that the lower courts have said, yeah, to hell with, uh, is the text of the Second Amendment as informed by this nation's history and tradition. And the lower court said, yeah, no, actually, you know what, we're going to come up with this two-part test where we're going to say, is it covered generally by the Second Amendment? And if so, then we're going to apply a standard of scrutiny. And uh, the Supreme Court said we can't use a rational basis, which is the lowest standard, uh, which, you know, basically you just have to come up with a rational reason and a court would go, cool, good enough. Um, so in rare instances, you would have strict scrutiny being applied when it applied to the core of the Second Amendment. Um, and that's the highest standard that the burdens on the government. Usually they would go to intermediate scrutiny. And most courts never saw a Second Amendment case that they couldn't find a reason to find in favor of the government, particularly the Ninth Circuit, which last I checked, um, in all of the Second Amendment cases that they had heard, uh, I think post Heller, uh, and there were about, I think there were 50 of them, if memory serves correctly. Um, every single one of those ultimately at the end of the day was decided against the individuals bringing the case by the Ninth Circuit. There were some panel decisions that found in favor of those individuals, and then they would go on bonk, which means the court as a whole would hear it, and they would find against them. So um, the test that was spelled out in Bruin is in my opinion, one of the most important things to come out of it, particularly if the lower courts actually go, okay, we need to follow what the Supreme Court said. And you're seeing proof of that, actually. Um, there's been several recent decisions that have been issued uh, in favor of either preliminary injunctions or in favor of uh, on the merits. And you look at the judges that are issuing them, and they're not Republican appointees. And generally speaking, you know, uh, who a, a judge is appointed by likely their political views are probably similar. Sometimes they're bargaining chips uh, where they may not be. But, you know, if, if, for instance, Obama appointed somebody, it's likely that they probably have similar views. Uh, and same, you know, if Trump appointed somebody, it's likely they had similar views. So you look at these and some of these are Obama appointees or other Democratic appointees that are coming back and saying, no, this violates the, the Second Amendment based on the test the Supreme Court set forth in Bruin. Um, so I think, again, that the, that test, assuming the lower courts apply it faithfully, is the biggest thing to come out of there. And then obviously, you know, the the articulation very clearly now, in case there was any confusion, that there is a right to bear arms outside of the home. Uh, and now you see states like 
New York. And there's a bill in New Jersey that's currently going through where they're trying to find every single way possible to criminalize it or basically make the entire state a sensitive place, uh, <laughs> which the you know the Supreme Court had said that's that's not going to fly. So here we are back in court. There's going to be no shortage of things to sue people over uh, in relation to carry. Uh, just simply carry, let alone any number of other things that, you know, touch on the Second Amendment. Boy, and that's one of the things that really kind of gets me after, you know, watching this progression um, for for these several years that we've been in this space. Um, and and I, I have to say it that way because, you know, a lot of our lives, we were a little bit checked out. We were sort of abdicating you know, assuming, well, somebody's got this, somebody's going to do the right things. We've got the constitution for the love of Pete, right? I mean, right there, yeah. that's our foundation. So we're good. Um, and it really wasn't until maybe the last 20 years or so that we've started as, as citizens, as a couple really working on paying attention to this kind of stuff. But um, we, we, realize that all the other side that hates our rights, hates firearms, whatever the case may be, all they have to do is throw up some uh, ridiculous claim or some ridiculous law gets passed. And that's what it'll be until now somebody on our side has like an Allen, right? Or Julianne has to say, wait, that's wrong. That goes against our founding principles. It goes against our our bill of rights and we're going to bring suit well the time involved in that and finding the person that that is harmed and is named as a heller or as a mcdonald which i don't know if people really even understand that piece of it like you've got to find somebody that this law has harmed this bad law has harmed and then you know push push the case forward but the amount of money that it takes to go through this process, the other side could just bankrupt us eventually if we don't have enough people stepping forward and saying, yeah, I believe in our founding principles enough to write a check to somebody that's doing the work, right? Yes. I mean, un unfortunately, this all, like everything in the world, does cost money. Uh, there seems to be no shortage of billionaires and uh, those with... Uh, extreme amounts of wealth that are funding, you know, the the other side, if you will. Um, and I, I think some of that also goes back to, you know, education at the end of the day. It's it's often it seems like in the in the debate about guns, there's two different sides talking to one another, but they're not speaking the same language. Mm -hmm. One is often based on emotion and how they feel, and the other is based on logic and reason and uh, things of that nature. And those are just not compatible with one another. Um, so you can explain to somebody that, well, this is this is the history. This is in our Bill of Rights. This is what the, you know, the Constitution says, and this is how it should be applied. And somebody will just say, well, I feel. Right. And they're not they're not ever going to meet in the middle until you educate as to why this these things like the constitution and, and the bill of rights that's contained in it and um, natural rights why those things are important and the other person understands and they go okay well i may feel this way but i also understand the logic behind whatever that that thing is um but as you said uh, you know so money wise yes it is it is quite expensive um Second Amendment Foundation, like many other groups, relies on donations from individuals, uh, you know, of, of all different sizes. 
uh, and that's what makes the the world go round. It really does. And, um, you know, that right now with we're in election season. So we're sitting in the studio on Wednesday, October 26th. Um, this show will air uh, on November 2nd of 2022. So we're right now in an election cycle and we're gearing up for another big election cycle in two years, which we're going to blink and we're going to be there. And it feels like everybody's got their hands out, right? Like you got to donate to this political party and this political candidate and everything else. So it is hard, I think, for people to prioritize and realize, all right, so what, what is the best use of my, my limited finances, which with this inflation situation we're going through right now and gas prices, uh, you know, there's, there's actually less in everybody's budget to be spread around, um, but talking just from my own perspective, I know how effective that the Second Amendment Foundation has been and uh, for all intents and purposes will continue to be. And then bringing somebody like you on board as executive director, I feel like that's you know definitely showing that we have an eye to the future. This organization has an eye to the future. Uh, I would say that if we lose our Second Amendment because we aren't supporting with our time, our talents, and our, our treasure organizations like the second amendment foundation, then, you know, that's the only, or else we have, right. We could say, you know, first amendment, I have the right to say whatever I want. Well, what's your, or else your only, or else is your second amendment. Yeah. Um, it was explained to me by somebody, uh, the other day in, in terms of, you know, with, with, with asking for donations and, and people with their hands out and how do you choose, um, you know, there's, you have the ability to uh, contribute to say a politician and, and I don't know, we're going to use a large number here. Cause I understand most people aren't cutting $10,000 checks. Uh, but you know, maybe, maybe it's cool to drop $10,000 in the governor's race and help pay for some commercials. Uh, and you get that instant kind of gratification, but isn't it better to invest in the long run in an issue area you care about with a, a organization that has shown it's a good steward of that area? It may not be an immediate return on investment today, mm -hmm. but if they're out there shaping the battlefield for tomorrow, um, and what the what the field looks like and ultimately winning the next thing that's coming downstream, what's a better investment of your money? Um, you know, I would I would proffer that it's the investment in the in the future uh, versus the kind of instant gratification. But, you know, that's just my two cents. I might be a little biased there. Investing in politicians, that's a scary, risky business, <laughs> isn't it? Because yeah, some absolutely. of the politicians that you believe in, they're going to do these good things. And then they turn on you. Okay. I mean, I didn't say that, did I? But so, um, so I agree. And, you know, I think we see some hope here because we're seeing uh, something that hasn't happened before in the last maybe five or six years, women, the women getting involved. And so if you don't have money to invest, you can't invest your time mm -hmm. and you can voice your, you can go see these uh, people in, uh, in politicians. You can go to the second amendment foundation, join them and, and, and uh, support them just by being there. Right. Mm -hmm. 
there's plenty of ways so obviously money is awesome however it's not the only way that somebody can become involved in, and effectuate uh, any sort of change there's different ways for you to become involved whether it's politically whether it's uh you know even spreading awareness of the organization its existence and what it does to people right. that may not know that's one of the biggest things actually is just educating people that hey this is out there here's what they do go take a look at their work and if you like it maybe you donate some money um, and that's, there's no shortage of ways to, for, for people to contribute. It doesn't always have to be financial. Well, you know, when, when I was a kid, we, you know, we owned guns. My dad was pretty active with second, second amendment rights. And he, um, he told us never talk about guns, you know, don't tell people you have guns. Don't go to school and say you have guns because we're afraid they would get stolen. Okay. The mentality now is, and we're I think we're seeing the changes because women, families are shooting together, which we didn't before. The women are getting more active. And you know, when you put a, a, a gun in a woman's hand, she's gonna tell everybody about it and 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 join clubs and whatever. We and are social creatures. Social <laughs> creatures, right. And it's it's a good plus for us because you know, you said earlier education. Well, the kids need to talk about how fun it is to have a gun and the responsibilities of owning a gun, the whole works. If we teach that to them young, then they'll be our voice down the road. Mm -hmm. But right now, it seems like the last 10 or 15 years, we've been telling kids that guns are bad. Mm -hmm. Guns are no good. And you can't tell a guy that goes hunting, shooting, cleaning guns and working on guns. You can't tell him guns are bad and he believe you. Right. So if you teach your kids early, it's just another tool right? right? and how to respect it. Go ahead. No, absolutely. I mean, you know, when you talk, when, when you're looking at it at that terms, if, if we're not having those conversations within our families, uh, be it, you know, wives, mothers, uh, and, and particularly children, that's where a, a large social component comes into it. And if, if, if it's successful in eradicating those conversations, it doesn't normalize that owning a, it doesn't, allow for guns to be a normal thing they become abnormal and that that in and of itself is problematic there's nothing inherently wrong with firearms in fact they're wonderful tools when used appropriately uh it's no different than cars or you know and i, I hate going to that example it's the only thing that comes to mind right cars are useful every day we go from a to b in them uh, but all it takes is somebody to do something irresponsible like get intoxicated get behind a wheel and cause a catastrophic accident um that is a function of that person's bad decision-making, not a function of the vehicle itself being a uh, bad tool. Um, and it, same thing with guns. Guns th themselves are not bad tools. They serve all kinds of purposes, everything from self-defense to putting food on the table to just having a good time at the range with you know your family, your friends, or by yourself, uh, and, and kind of everything in between. So um, that that kind of uh, education, if you will, and and normalizing that firearms are okay is something that absolutely needs to be paid attention to because that is a, a big component of a cultural war on, on that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we are grandparents now. And so we, we just had one daughter. Um, she's a grown up. She manages our auction house and she and her husband have given us two beautiful granddaughters. Uh, one is just three, the other is eight. And, you know, we are, uh, teaching them in every way that we can about the tool because they're in their world. You know, even if we didn't own guns, 
uh, guns are part of our world. And so we've taught him the whole Eddie Eagle, you know, stop, don't touch, run away, tell a grown up. And the three-year-old walks around the house singing it. And she knows, <laughs> and she knows the words, she knows the tune, but she knows what she's talking about because uh, the eight-year-old was trying to change the song and make it about something else. And she was like, no, 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 that is about guns. And so it was like, all right. It's... Or when there was a gun in my office one time and she come up and says, don't touch. Yeah. And then you explain to them, you know, you go through the process with them, but it's a learning process. It is. And it's not to instill fear is to teach them just like the drawer full of knives at home, right? Mm -hmm. Use that analogy a lot. She'll reach into that drawer and she'll go right past the knife and grab the spoon she was after and go eat her ice cream, right? <laughs> because we've normalized a, a knife ownership, nice. yeah. right? It's not mysterious. It's, you know, she knows what it's for and and that she's not ready to use the sharp ones, you know? So it, it really is bizarre to me that we have made guns such a, a bizarre, uh, no, no, um, and every fringe parent, item instead of them being a normal part of every household, like they were when this nation was founded. Right, and every parent should teach kids about gun safety because even if you don't own guns, your next door neighbor might. Mm -hmm. And so a kid shows the gun to another kid and he goes, no, uh -uh. you know, I, I know enough to go back home. Right. Mm -hmm. Something like the sharp knife. We don't right. deal with the sharp knife. Right. That's for mom and dad. <laughs> but anyway, we kind of got off topic there, but a uh... tiny bit, but we do that. <laughs> um, <laughs> So Adam, we do need to start uh, wrapping up. Thank you so much for um, stepping into this position of executive director yes. of the Second Amendment Foundation. Thank you for all that you do. Um, what what would you like to leave our listeners and our the people watching this on video with um, that that we haven't talked about yet? Is there anything that important that we didn't drill into? Wow, uh, big big summation there that I was totally unprepared for. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I don't think there's anything that we didn't talk about today that I would like to cover. I suspect in the future, you know, should I be invited back that I may have Absolutely, some other things I would, you will be. I would like to discuss with you, but I, I think um, overall we, you know, we talked about all the things that come to mind right now. I, I look forward to kind of getting my feet wet, getting a lay of the land and starting to uh, work very closely with Alan and Julianne and, and shaping what the the future of the Second Amendment Foundation, you know, is and, and where it's going. Um, I guess the the one thing I would leave your listeners and viewers with is if if you're not a member of the Second Amendment Foundation, uh, head on over to the website. It's uh, www.saf.org and go take a look at the work we're doing. There's a legal page, uh, I believe, to date. The Second Amendment Foundation has been involved in over 260 some cases, might be a little higher than that, um, either as a party, as an amicus or funding the case uh, where it wasn't appropriate for them to be an institutional plaintiff. Uh, I'm currently working my way through a very long spreadsheet of all those cases to try to uh, categorize them uh, and, and just gain knowledge for myself as to all of the things over the years that SAF has been involved in. Um, but I, I, my pitch to anybody has always been, you know, take a look at the work. And if you like the work that's being done, find a way to help us out and support us, whether it's financially, whether it's telling your friends, your neighbors, you know, your children, go check us out. Um, I think that's the best thing you can do. And the, the proof is really in the pudding. Um, so that would be the one thing I think I would leave you with on, on that point. Fantastic. Well, thank you again so much. I know it's saf.org. 
Um, and, and for you yourself, if anybody wanted to reach out to you, good luck. Uh, I, <laughs> you're going to be looking at spreadsheets. You don't, you don't yeah. have time for that. I like that um, answer I, though. I, I got off social media, so I, I mean, I still have a Twitter account, but I don't really use it. Um, so yeah, there, there isn't really a great way to do it. Um, but you know, through, through the organization, I would say would be, would be best. Fantastic. Thank you so much. We definitely are going to be asking you back. We want to talk about so many different things with you. And especially as you're, you know, really uh, diving into the organization and all that uh, the future holds. Um, Very excited. And thank you again for your time today. Thank you. I had a great time. Thank you so much for allowing me to be here. Absolutely. Thank you, Adam. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you very much. You're welcome. That is awesome. He's going to be a, an asset to the Second Amendment Foundation. Absolutely. And you know what? What better thing? I mean, he he sounds like he doesn't want to be an attorney anymore, <laughs> right? But but yeah, look at what his experience has. It's almost like God put him in that position, mm-hmm. even though he may not be his dream. Mm-hmm. Put him to that position so that he could be ready for this. It's so true. And two things I want to say about that is one is, you know, Julianne Versnell, she is not an attorney and yet she runs this organization. She knows what attorneys, what attorneys she needs to plug in to the process. Um, And so you don't have to be a practicing attorney to do this work, Uh, but to have all the, the background of information and knowledge that Adam brings is perfect. Plus the connections. In the all the years that he's been an attorney and working with as an intern, all that those are connections that he will be able to reference. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and anyway, it's just a, a wonderful moment uh, in time, I think, and it's exciting to be able to um, you know see that uh, you know here in our businesses we we have that succession plan, right? We've been talking to our daughter about well, this is what we do, this is why we do it, this is how we do it. So if you and I get hit by the same bus on the same day, we'll sue the bus company. No, but <laughs> I'm assuming we won't be here to sue. Oh. Um, that she will know how to pick up that ball and run it down right. the field. And when we see organizations start making those moves and successfully transitioning, it is exciting um, because that shows us that it, it isn't gonna, you know, so many businesses and organizations after the first generation, they don't succeed. Right. And sometimes it's hard to hand off that torch because you built that torch mm-hmm. and you don't want to, you want to be the guy. Mm-hmm. And we see that in some organizations that are struggling or failing mm-hmm. because they didn't, I mean, these are good organizations Holding that a little too tightly to how we tight. did things so rather than here's a new world we're in. Right. Um, and you know, back in 1974, there wasn't a mom's demand action, for example. Right. And so mom's demand action, you bring that up. Mom (laughs) demand action. You know what that is? What? That's sounds like somebody walking the streets in Las Vegas. You went there. I did. Well, I'm, Hey, I'm a mom. I demand (laughs) action. I'm going to go down, walk down. I mean, that's what it sounds like to me. What is mom's demand action? Um, is that what it is? Yeah, it? it's it's a weird name for an organization, but they do serious damage to our rights because they they try to talk to soccer moms right. and you know they try to normalize this idea yeah. that guns are bad. Yeah, and so um, 
go you to have anybody. To understand that yeah. they 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 weren't even a part of the conversation back right. when the Second Amendment Foundation right. was formed, and so now you know the conversation has changed and morphed, and and if the organizations aren't going along and and understanding that and talking to people in the conversation that's happening now, right? You know that whole idea of the pen is mightier than the sword. I believe that is still true. And if we aren't using every pen available to us, including social media, including shows like this, uh, every possible opportunity we have, then we are um, we're helping the other side to win. Right. And, and the sword win. nowadays is not a sword. It's money. Mm. It's money that's fighting us. It's the mm. people, the uh, few people that have a lot of money that are pushing for these these ways mm. so our pins need to be stronger and our voice needs to be stronger where's our billionaires i mean come on seriously they got sold out how do we not people that that stand on our founding principles how do we not have a few billionaires well, i don't know that, that i don't that know, want to put their money where their mouth is i don't know the people that signed that constitution and made it a, a law i mean made that the life of of the united states had a lot of money it, it's not that type of, people who have rights rights people it's not about money yeah so i don't know why that i don't know be. why that that's a that's a good question but i i think it's because we're different people it might be something to think about i hadn't thought about it that way but all right we've got to get out of here thank you so much to adam kraut and yes. all that he is doing and that the second amendment foundation is doing saf.org sign up become a member we are life members, full disclosure. Uh, thank you to our awesome listeners everywhere there is internet. Uh, we have listeners and viewers. Thank you so much. Please be sure to like, share, subscribe, hit the notifications button and every place that you can find Gun Freedom Radio because it's getting harder and harder to get the message out in this weird world we're living in where if First Amendment is not quite as revered as it should be. I have to say this. I believe in the Second Amendment Foundation so much that if I believed in reincarnation, I would get a membership for that one too. <laughs> I like it. That's I would. Good. I would. I'd have double you put membership. put that in your will. Yes. Oh, that's funny. Um, anyway, thank you to our, our listeners and viewers. If you, uh, you can find us for now on YouTube, Gunstreamer, please rumble. Rumble is our new home. Oh, so please go to Rumble. We've got like a handful of people following us because we've just started there. Um, so please help us to build that because I think YouTube's about to kick us off. Um, we also have, um, if you want to listen to the audio version, audio only because you're out riding your bike or doing something that you can't be in front of a screen, go to gunfreedomradio.com, click the on demand tab and binge listens to your heart's content darling and if you want to see photos and bios and the works of all of the guests we've ever had on click the guest tab it's a huge and rich resource of subject matter experts that we've built up over the years and when you spend time there we don't hate that yeah we got it this program now you can either send us a million dollars <laughs> or you can click the guest tab Right? One of those or, two things. Do one of those. Button, subscribe button. Share button. Yes. The notifications button. Yes. Or right? the million or dollars. Because yeah. if we got enough million dollars, then we could be the rich guys that are for That's the true. Second Amendment. That's true. So if everybody, what if everybody sent us a million dollars? We everybody. Would, we would be good stewards of that money. Oh, we would. We would. 
I tell you, the Constitution would be in gold. Absolutely. All right. All Until right. next time, pray for our nation. Pray for our leaders. All of them. Even the ones you don't like, Dan? Even the ones we just voted out. I hope so. I hope so. I hope we get some good people in there. Um, and until next time, be good to each other. Have a great week. And God bless. Bye-bye.